Hello and welcome to Take 411, a podcast powered by Another Chance to Bridge the Gap. This is a place where you can find latest news, information in relation to prison and anything happening in the community. Buckle in. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, good evening, and some places I know that it's nighttime. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is Tawanda with Take 411, and today we have a few ladies on the line that's going to join me in talking about a very interesting topic. So as we begin, I just want to go out to everyone on the line and say hello, and just state your name and the state you're calling from today. We'll go out to 210. Hey, my name is Vanessa, and I'm calling from Oakland, California. All right, all right. Thank you so much, Vanessa. All right, 703. Hi, I'm Alexis, and I'm calling from Virginia. All right. Thank you, Alexis. 720. This is Anita, and I'm calling from Iowa. All right, and thank you, Anita. And it's always awesome and wonderful to talk to you lovely ladies all across the world. And today we um, come to talk about something extremely important, the prison pandemic. And as we get started with the show today, what I want to share with everyone um, that's listening to our show is we all know in reference to the coronavirus, I'm not sure about you guys, but around mid-March of this year, I started hearing about the coronavirus and how serious it was. And at first I thought, hey, this is just something else that, you know, they're saying that's, that's going to be a catastrophe. And then I was in Atlanta at the time, and when they closed the schools, I said, oh, my goodness, I think this may be something serious. And um huh. I mean, you know, we get all types of crazy thoughts sometimes. I was thinking about when it was 1999, and it was in December, almost December 31st, and 2000 was coming in, and everybody was saying, the world is going to end, the world is going to end. When 2000 comes in, something's going to roll back, and we're not ready for it, and blah, blah, blah. So what I did, I said, well, if that, if it's going to be the end of the world, I want to be near my mama. So I flew and got myself to South Carolina as soon as possible. And that's exactly what I did when the coronavirus came. I said, oh, well, my mama on the way. I don't know how long I'm going to be visiting you, but till we figure out what this thing is, I don't want to be anywhere else in the world. And um, and it's been about nine months, and we're still going through this uncertainty. But with coronavirus cases, there's been over 36 million over 36 million coronavirus cases. There's been over a million deaths, and 27,000, well, almost 28,000 people have recovered from the coronavirus. And just to reiterate, since March of 2020, um, when we kind of started this thing, I know they might have been lingering around with something around February after Valentine's, but it wasn't named. And since that time, it's been 36 million. Um, statistics as of right now says 36,274,696 cases, people that have tested positive for the coronavirus. And there's been over a million, 1,057,836 deaths. People have died. And I know you guys have heard stories of so many deaths that we can't have funerals. And, you know, in New York, one time they had on the um, TV there were so many people that had died, people were just laying out and being buried in some field somewhere. And this is just, I know, stuff that people will never forget. You know, it's just, a, it's just a catastrophe. It's something that when I know when 9-11 hit, for example, it shook the nation for a very, very long time. And this is something that I know is shaking the nation as well. And almost 27,296 people have recovered gratefully. And I know most people also heard last week our, our our leader of the free world, our president of the United States, tested positive um, for the coronavirus and the first lady. And he went to the hospital, and then I know he left after a couple of days. And that was definitely very concerning, as the article said, with his age and weight, um, definitely a very big concern. So this thing is real. And one thing that I know people haven't thought about is, 
we're all going through this pandemic, worrying, hiding, social distancing, getting near people we love and doing everything we can to make sure mm-hmm. that we're safe, that we're going to live to see tomorrow. But how many people have actually said, hey, what about person in prison? Someone mm-hmm. who's in prison, so they're not going anywhere. And in prison, they won't have it amongst themselves because they're not going anywhere. But guards and other employees and workers and contractors have to go to the prison daily because the prison is still a business. And guards that work there have to still go home and come back. The guards can't just pack up and say, well, it's coronavirus. I have family. I love you. I'll see you in six or nine months because I got to stay at the prison. That's not how it works. So there have had to be so many different precautions put in place to be able to try to protect prisons as soon as possible. Because guess what? Even though someone's in prison, they're still a person. And unfortunately, sometimes people forget that prisoners are humans as well. And you have no idea who's all in prison. You have a lot of people in prison that's wrongfully convicted. You have a lot of people in prison that made a mistake for the very first time. They just had a year or two. And guess what? Who wants to go somewhere for a year or two and get taken out by the coronavirus? So there's so many different mm-hmm. elements and situations to what um, this coronavirus has done and is doing. And today we're talking about a pandemic in prison because of this coronavirus. So I want to go out to you, ladies, because I know everyone has different thoughts and different opinions in reference to this. So my first question is, what are your thoughts on the pandemic overall and how has it affected you and your family personally? I just shared that I didn't think it was for real until I was in Atlanta one day and the schools were closed. And then I got a little concerned and anxious, and I got out of Georgia immediately because I said, oh, something's really going on here. And I should have known when I went downtown Atlanta, and it was ghost town. Because if you've ever been to Atlanta or if you ever know anything about Atlanta, it's always a lot of traffic. And during, like, the first five months of the pandemic, you could go through Atlanta in minutes. No traffic. That is definitely weird. I'm going to go out to you, Vanessa. And I want you to share your thoughts on the pan- on the pandemic overall. How ha- how has it affected you and your family per- personally? Sure. Yeah. So um, I come from a very culturally different uh, aspect when it comes to the pandemic. A lot of my family uh, are migrant workers, and a lot of my family are immigrants. So we're although we are affected. Like, for example, my husband, he's an essential worker. He had to work throughout the pandemic. So it affected us, but we we kind of pushed through. And I noticed kind of like this underbelly of, this, of all these people pushing through when everybody else was in the comfort of their own home or in, in different situations, right? So out here in California, there's a lot of people getting like um, – you know, Postmates getting food delivered to their home or getting groceries bought by somebody else or whatever, but you would still see agricultural workers in the fields. You'll still see city cleaners on the streets. My husband worked for the city and still had to do, like, repairs, and he was out in the middle of the road. And um, so that's how it's affected me. We're still very concerned. We were uh, very aware of the pandemic as soon as it came out because his employment and a lot of my other family's employment were being told to don these new precaution measures and they were being issued PPE and they were getting letters, like official state letters saying that they were allowed to work out in the street, to be out in public, and the company was taking personal liability on it. So we were aware, it was frightening, but we kind of have dealt with it as I'm sure a lot of other communities have to, to um, that kind of just have to like push through. So it's very frightening, but we are just not in a financial state where we can just stay at home and order food and order groceries, you know, so that's how it affected me and my direct family. Mm. Wow. And one thing I learned a long time ago is that you never know where people are in life. Like that's, mm. Wow. Well, let me ask you one last question, Vanessa, before I go on to the next person. Like, when you heard about this, like, what are some of the precautions that you had to take in reference to your children? Um, 
because I know just like this has been just difficult for us, how, how did you talk to the kids about it and how did they respond? So I I have a lot of, um, like, I have a very close-knit community, not just within my family, but in my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, you kind of just, like, shield your, your kids and your little ones. And maybe that's not the best thing to do, but that's just what we did. We kind of just shielded them, and uh, things started shifting in school where school was getting canceled, and then you had to kind of come up with activities on your own. Uh, but that's that's kind of how it just went down in my household and with my family in my neighborhood. We kind of just, we didn't give them, like, all of the specifics. And we ourselves weren't very aware of, like, the outcome of it. But we definitely were a little skeptical, like you were saying. Like, well, what is this? Is it as serious as everybody's mm-hmm. saying? Do we need to kind of panic? Um, but my my family has, a, I, I think they've, um, you know, always kind of held out through these situations with a cool head. So I just I just reflected that, too. It's, I just kind of okay. stayed cool and just pushed through and didn't really explore all of the details of the pandemic. Like I said, maybe it's not the best thing, but that's survival. You know, that's what we did. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that. Okay, Alexis, um, what are your thoughts on the um, prison, on the pandemic overall, and how has it affected you and your family personally? Well, um, coming from a healthcare background, I really know how serious the virus is, and it's still unbelievable how many people choose not to take it as seriously as they should. They still believe it's a hoax and stuff like that. And I just keep my opinion to myself because everybody is entitled to their own opinion. However, those people that think it's a host, please don't come around me without a mask or at least some hand sanitizer. And please kindly keep six feet apart because I don't want to catch the virus. I live in a house with a central worker. When this virus first started, there were a lot of coworkers at her particular store that was catching it. So it was a very scary time for her. It was a very scary time for me. And all I have to say is for my family, personally, everybody's been kind of quarantined in their own homes. Everybody are taking precautions. And the one, the only family member in my family that I'm extremely worried about is currently in a nursing home. And when the COVID virus hit, they have banned all visitors. Nobody can come in or out. And she's on a ventilator. So it's even more extremely dangerous for her. And they are daily testing their staff and or patients to ensure that no one has caught it. And if anyone has, they definitely quarantine that particular patient away from the rest of the floor. So for me, um, fortunately, I don't know anyone who personally has it or has passed away from it. And for everyone out there who has lost someone, I'm so sincerely sorry. Thank you so much, um, Alexis. And I know, like, with living with an essential worker, that definitely is, is awesome and rewarding. Rewarding, but at the same time, it could be probably a little um, cautious. My sister's an essential worker. So, yeah, when I got to South Carolina and I realized that she was working at a nursing home and she had a private client, I said, can you quit that job? Like, can you afford to quit that job? <laughs> you need some help? Um because, you know, I mean, I, I just kind of was concerned, and she said, no, I can't, and I love what I do. And I said, I respect that. And, you know, I just definitely want to say, um, send good vibes and good thoughts and um, to everyone that's an essential worker. I'm glad you mentioned that, Alexis, because you definitely are putting your life on the line every day that you go out um, to work and take care of someone, from people in the medical field, to people that's driving, with all these different companies. There's so many people that even though – you know, a lot of people was in the house for months and are still in the house. A lot of people had to still go out and, and get it done, and people have been doing it. Like, that. that is just, that's just amazing. So definitely um, thank you to everyone that's essential, that's done something to really help um, the world. All right, how about you, um, Anita, talk to us? 
Well, the first thing I did was make masks because they were in, an, in a short supply, and I gave most of them to the nursing home. And then I, the, the more, the more I had to stay home, the more I wanted to go. But there was nowhere to go except the grocery store and Walmart and Walgreens. And so I, I went to the grocery store a lot. I did went like maybe three times a week just so I could get out. And but I wore my mask and I kept my space. I had hand sanitizers. I I did it safely. And then when the school closed, my um, grandson's the grandson's um, mother had to, she works in a nursing home, so she had to continue working. And so then I did the schooling with him on the computer. About May, um, my lease was running up, and I decided that I wanted to make some big changes. And so I got a pod, and I packed all my things, and I put it in a pod, and I took off on the road. And first I went to Sedona, Arizona, and then I followed the uh, Route 66 as far as I could to Tennessee, and I spent the summer in Tennessee, and then I returned to Denver, and then I decided to go to Iowa because my mom had been ill, and I thought this would be a good time to spend time in, in Iowa. So that's where I am now. And right now, I'm planning to stay here. This is where I grew up, and all my family's here. So I made me do big changes in my life. Wow. Well, I love to see some of the the masks that you made. I actually did have a lady that I worked with in prison. Her sister mailed me some, and she started making them for a lot of different people. And I think she made them like six or seven, and they're really, really awesome. So I'd love to see what you have made, Anita, because you are so creative. But um, we're going to go to break and come back, and I have a couple more questions. And, again, this is Tawanda with Tate 411, and what we're talking about today is the prison pandemic. So when we come back, we'll dive into it and share a little more questions in reference to that. All right, all right, all right, and we'll be back. Tawanda with Take 411, and today we're talking about prison pandemic. And now I want to ask you guys next question. Do you know anyone in prison? And if so, do you know what they may have been going through during this time, whether they've talked to you, whether you've read any information um, online or through someone else, or just if you know of anything that's happened when it comes to what someone in prison is going through. And first, I'll go to you, um, Anita. People, uh, because, um, because of the work that I do in editing books and things. And so I, one of them is a mother of someone in, that has a son in prison. And he does not have the virus, but he has other um, illnesses that have not been taken care of. And so she has started an organization called um, Concerned Mothers for Children, for, for prisoners, Concerned Mothers of Prisoners. And um, she's been trying to get him help because he has 
sores all over him and he has a lot of pain and and he has lots of medical needs that he's never had before and he's not able to get the help that he needs. When they see him it's only for a few minutes and she just she can't get any satisfaction and she has such concern for him. Um, another one was in a halfway place where he was out of prison and it was time for him to be able to go into the community, but he had to go through a lot of um, different steps before he could go into the community. And all those things were delayed because of shutdowns in the prison, in the, in a halfway house. And the same thing happened to for another girl that I, that I work with, and she um, things were delayed for her because of shutdowns and, and um the vocational programs that she was in. They did a lot of testing and things like that. Any questions about those? Well, no, I, do, I just want you to share because I know that you've read hundreds of even yeah. emails that we've received from people, and um, and we'll be telling more detail about that in a book that we're releasing in a couple of weeks called Prison Pandemic because if unless you're inside or you know someone inside, you just have no clue. Um, some of the different things that's actually going on. And, um, yeah, you just would be surprised. I got um, an email from a, a loved one that in one state they gave every prisoner at the whole prison shots yesterday and said it was for TB. And they said they've never, ever, ever heard of that actually happening before. And, um and so prisoners are trying to figure out what did they get injected with on yesterday? Was it TB? Was it something else? And everyone in the prison got this shot on yesterday in a particular state. And um, just looking at, um, I'm in several groups um, about the coronavirus with prisons that families have started. One says um, HSP has its first offender case reported of COVID. Guess that's Hayes State Prison. Um, Willer, um, six of nine units either entirely locked down or individual dorms within lockdown due to COVID. Can't confirm the specific number, but believe me when I say it's real. Rumor is the kitchen staff had it. Last I heard, 10 staff members were on quarantine. Again, no members were confirmed. And I'm going to continue to share more and more information about that and also continue to put it on our website. We're going to go out to you, Alexis. Um, do you have? Do you know anyone in prison, how they experienced uh, dealing with the pandemic, or have you read anything or anything that you want to share? Um, to be 100% honest, I do not know anybody who is currently in prison. I do know people who have been to prison and have been released, but this is before the pandemic. Um, to be really frank, I haven't really read anything concerning prisoners when it comes to the pandemic, but maybe now I should because later on you'll hear some trending news that is a little bit disturbing in the numbers that are populated. However, um, when the pandemic first started, I know there was talk about um, being worried because it's closed confinements in prisons. You don't have a, um, a lot of room in the cells, and sometimes you do have a roommate, and it's not like uh, the facilities are big enough to keep everybody six feet apart as recommended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just really so much happening, so much going on in reference to that. How about you, Vanessa? Yeah, I'm uh, with Alexis. I personally don't know anyone currently in prison uh, that has gone through this situation with the pandemic, but I did have a lot of family members that um, did long stints in prison and did have to deal with the Correctional Facility Preparedness Response for situations like the H5N1 and the H1N1. And apparently, I've been reading, you know, some, like, guidelines and handbooks on 
how they're dealing with the how the correctional facilities are dealing with the pandemic currently. And their stuff is so outdated. Their guidelines are so outdated. The tools that they have are basically the same ones that they had during like flu outbreaks or, you know, all, all these uh, N1H strands that they had. So they were very unprepared. They have noticed that like, you know, depending on age groups, um, if, if the age group of the correctional facility is younger or, you know, different groups in um, prisons happen to be um, 10 years apart or so, the younger groups don't take the, um, the same precautions as maybe a seasoned, a seasoned prisoner. There's like so many outbreaks and kind of how you guys touched base on um, the vicinity of each um, prisoner next to each other. There's just like not a lot of preparedness and the response planning for these from these correction agencies are just not up to par. And there is money. A lot of these prisoners, a lot of these prisons are private. They are privately funded. So there is money to get like some type of CDC advisor and uh, more PPE and more room or just kind of like how they're doing, how they have been doing recently and let go um, certain offenders or first-time offenders or I, I don't know exactly the titles, but kind of release them on parole. Uh, but there, there just hasn't been a lot of push towards that. So that's as far as I know. It's a lot of outdated tools that they're using. But as far as present prisoners I, I the only information that I've been told is you know from social media and from listening to things like this podcast and watching you and one of the emphasis I want to say in reference to something you said you know there's money available for like outside mm-hmm. assistance um, consultation etc and the question mm-hmm. that I want people to think about is even though there's money available for that, you know, of course we know, and I don't know what people's budget is and so on and so forth, but how many people do you really think even cares about finding out how you can better help someone that's in prison? Just think about that. We got to go to break. We'll come right back. We're talking about prison pandemic. And if you don't know what we're talking about today, let's let Vanessa tell you. Good morning, everyone. This is Vanessa with the podcast Take 411. On today's episode, Tawanda, Anita, and I will focus on some really interesting topics. These topics include the pandemic, the current state of prisoners during these very trying times, their families, and most importantly, your voting options. You're going to want to stick around. So let's get started. Hi, this is Alexis with some trending news for Take 411. COVID-19 cases have exploded at the Utah State Prison, which is now reporting 196 active cases, up from just two on September 23rd. All of them are in the Washat A and B blocks at the Draper campus. The Washat facility, which opened in 1952, is the oldest at the prison. Those two A and B blocks holds 327 prisoners, so 60% of them now have tested positive. Nearly all of those who are positive for COVID in those housing units are either asymptomatic or they are experiencing very minor symptoms. Mac Hyden, Executive Director of the Utah Department of Corrections, said in a 16-minute video posted online about the outbreak. Back to the show. All right, thank you so much for that, Alexis. And again, this thing is continuing to happen everywhere. We're going to continue to move forward because I know everyone on here has something they just want to share personally. The world um, is definitely in in a state of emergency, and there's so much that's going on. You know, I remember one time when we were doing a, a weekly call in reference to another chance, and we're talking to to families, you know, to see how we can bridge the gap between people in prison with family, friends, and people in the community. And someone had invited a young lady onto the call, and she said, I don't really know why someone invited me to this call. I'm not a criminal. I don't know any criminals. I don't see how this even affects me. And um, and she said that she was a professional, she's a dental hygienist, and blah, 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 blah. 
and um and I was really saddened by her comment. And a lot of times when we don't know better, we don't do better. Prison affects every one of us, and there are so many reasons that it does. It could affect you just for simply, hey, you may have your carjacked one day. You may have an encounter. You want to be aware. Or what about that person that's really in a bad situation that's wrongfully incarcerated? What about that person that got too much time for a crime, and they their only crime was really they was in the wrong place at the wrong time? The possibilities are endless. And the thing I also tell people is, Anyone can be one step from prison because you just never know, especially if you are a parent. What about if you're a parent and someone does something to your child? You know, sometimes people lose it. I mean, there's so many circumstances and situations, but the bottom line is we have to be careful how we treat people, and we have to be careful not to judge because we don't always know what someone's situation is. And most importantly, prisoners are people too. So just imagine with different things. I have photos that I'm going to upload on the website this week that talks about the pandemic and people that's being sick and even it's still prison. So there's still wars and there's still fights. And these are some very vulgar photos. But guess what? People need to know. People need to be able to see. People are going through hell in prison. People have died. I mean, so many different things are going on. I have had emails that I need to know of grown men crying on the email, trying to call, saying, please help me. I'm feeling helpless. And we've had family members, I need to just mention one, that have called us, left messages in tears. Whether you are a parent or not listening to this call or on this call today, can you even imagine what moms, wives, fathers, loved ones, can you even imagine how family members feeling right now knowing they have a loved one that's in prison that they love. Because guess what? Whoever's in prison, somebody loves them. Can you even imagine how that mom feels knowing that her only child is in prison or her oldest child or that wife or that girlfriend or that child that's parent is in prison? Have you ladies on the call today ever, like, taken a second, whether you know someone in prison or not, can you just put yourself in, in, in that loved one's shoes for just a couple of seconds can you just kind of try to even imagine how they feel? And let me ask you, what if it was someone you love with all your heart? How do you think you'll feel? I'm going to go out to you first, Alexis. Um, to be 100% honest, I can't imagine. It must be a scary process because it is true. Whether someone committed a horrific crime or maybe they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time and made a wrong decision. Someone out there does care and love them, especially mothers, because a mother's love for a child is undying. And when I was a child, I did not understand what my, what, uh, like the magnitude of my mom's love. And someone told me that one day when I no longer have a mother, I will understand. And what they told me is how can a mother not love their child because your mother carried you for nine months, gave birth to you, and raised you till the day you're 18 or until the day she passes, if she passes before then. And then even what after you're 18 and you're legally adult, your mother is still going to worry about you, is still going to look out for you. So imagine someone who loves you unconditionally, no matter the mistakes, or the wrong choices you made. Personally, my mom passed away before I was 18. And I can't imagine for those mothers out there, if their child made a wrong mistake and is now in prison, paying the price for it, and they have to love their child through a glass window or door. And for me, I have an incredible bond with my sister. So if, God forbid, something were to happen, my sister made a wrong choice and had to go to prison, I don't know how I could bear it because I probably most likely would just confess it with me. It's real. Just so and guess what? Yeah, it's happening. Accidents happen. That's why they call accidents. Good people are in prison. People are in prison that made a mistake. And everyone in prison is being affected in some form or fashion about potentially catching the coronavirus. 
just as us. However, a lot of times in prison, they don't, they, they can't really be protected. It was weeks before mass even got to the prison. Um, they were still doing prison transfers up to about six or eight weeks after the pandemic hit. I mean, a lot of stuff was still going on. Prisoners was begging for bleach and different things. Like, hey, listen, you don't even have to clean. Can you bring us some bleach and different things so we can try to clean our cell and clean our environment and clean our area? The prison was not prepared for something like this. And I get it. I understand because guess what? The world wasn't prepared. But desperate times come desperate measures. You got to let some people go. You got to modify some stuff. You got to put some other systems in place. And Vanessa said, hey, there's money available for consultation from people who do know. I never knew that. We know that the prison system, a lot of money is being made with prison. Guess what? Use some of this money to see how we can do better to be able to help people with some of these different things. So, that's just really, really amazing. All right, what are your what are your thoughts, Vanessa? If, if you had to put yourself in someone's shoes, oh man, so many thoughts. I'm gonna try and make this quick. Um, so I do not have. Uh, I was not raised with my maternal, uh, with my mother, and my father, um, but I I was raised in my extended family, and one of the main paternal figures in my life uh, was my uncle. And he spent over 12 years in prison. But before he was in prison, he impacted my life so much. He gave so much value to me. And he showed me, like, a plethora amount of things, not just in my direct family, but around the world. And I definitely attribute the person that I've become to him. I mean, a lot of other contributors, but definitely him. And him going to prison and being in prison for such a long time, I I would imagine that if I was, you know, in the situation that I'm in now with him, if he was alive and he was in prison, I would just dedicate my entire life to advocating for, for, um, you know, the underprivileged in these correctional facilities, in these prisons. And it has definitely molded my life. But I, I, I do also want to point out kind of how we talked about a little bit is that there is so much money and like elections are coming up. So these are the types of things we want to keep in mind because, yeah, of course, maybe you don't have someone that raised you that went to prison. But there's so many politicians that are getting rich off of these private institutions, you know, whether it's free labor, firefighters, whether it's uniform, license plates, whatever. There's so much of the one percent, right, quote unquote, that are staying in the 1% and suppressing a lot of people who make under $100,000 a year because they are, that 1% is making all that money from free labor. So although you personally might not have somebody in prison or might not know somebody in prison, it affects you. These people are not just staying rich, but they're getting rich and they are making these policies against anybody who is not in their direct circle. You know what I mean? So it, it affected me in in not so much of a like, oh, you know, um, like it didn't make my thought of prisoners vulnerable, but it, it did affect me in the sense that I became aware of this other culture lived, that we are living, that um, we're all living amongst. And I really, really stress people to look into these voter platforms and what campaigns are these um, politicians running on is it are they getting their funding from private prisons because there's a lot of money in there and if they are uh, how are they distributing that wealth because how you said to one that somebody in your family could have an accident or they could be stereotyped you know if you're just like one shade darker than the next you could be a victim and sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't turn out so well for many people so yeah that's how it's affected me Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that Absolutely. Wrong place, wrong time. And that's why there's so many agencies and organizations that help with wrongful convictions because hundreds, even thousands of people have been wrongfully convicted. And unfortunately, we find out 10 and 15 and 20 years later. So it's just a lot. Um, Anita, what are your thoughts in reference to that? Trying to imagine if you were a mom, a family member, a loved one that had um, someone incarcerated during this time of, of the pandemic. I have two sons, 
and you always are concerned every time they go out of the house. And I would always pray when they went out, protect them from fast women and angry men. Mm. And, Mm. you know, that's just how I pray every time they went out because I know how fast you can be in a bar and get in a fight and have something happen. And I didn't want that for them. And I, but you can't stop kids from going out and or they weren't kids, you know, young adults, but you can't stop them from going out and living their life and things, but you, you sure can worry. And so, um, fortunately nothing like that ever happened. And, and, and no one in my family has ever been in prison. But if anybody would be be in prison, it'd be better to be me because I'm somebody who could handle it, I believe. But I wanted to share something with you that I found on my trip. And that was um, I went to church at a cowboy church. And it was a wonderful service, wonderful sermon and everything. But he turned it at the end toward prison. And he was talking about how the prisoners wanted to be there. They had cable TV and air conditioning and free food and all this he was totally clueless about prison was. And I think that people do not have, the general population has no idea what prison is and what it's like. And and they're very uneducated about it. He wasn't intending to be ignorant. What he, what he said was ignorant. But he, he wasn't intending to be cool, he just really did not know what people go through. And I think that's one of our purposes with our 411 is to be to educate the community as well as be a, a blessing to people in prison and their families. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Anita, so much for sharing that. And we're going to go to break, and we have to definitely wrap up, but... um. To those listening to our show, I definitely want you to take heed and and take action and and definitely contact us. We'll be talking about different ways of how we're going to work together in campaigning and being able to bring awareness to different things that's going on in reference to this. And we got to work together. I know we've been hearing all the commercials um, on television with a lot of the actors and actresses, and they say we're in this together. Well, guess what? It's about action if we're truly in this together, and we need to be able to help each other. We'll be right back. This is Tawanda with Tate 411. Hi, it's Alexis with some trending news for Tate 411. There has been another massive COVID-19 outbreak in a Wisconsin prison. Ocash Correctional Institution has reported Tuesday that there are more than 300 active cases among their inmates. The huge surge in cases comes as Cato Moran Correctional Institution also reported today that they have 431 active cases of COVID-19 among inmates, the largest outbreak at a Wisconsin prison yet. Okash Correctional has a large number of elderly inmates. It is Wisconsin's most populous prison with 1,964 prisoners as of Friday. The DOC reported that the medium security site had 337 active cases among prisoners. An additional 27 at Alcash have tested positive at some point during the pandemic but have since recovered. Another six tested positive but were released from the prison. The spokesman said that all of Alcash inmates who have tested positive has been isolated from other prisoners and are being treated by health services staff at the prison. If they need greater care, then the prison can present provide at the institution. They will be moved to a local hospital or a medical center. Back to the show. All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much for that update. And that's just two um, different updates about things happening in the prison. And that's what we're getting from the media. 
Um, so we all know that there's a lot that we're just still not getting because people can always have the most update information. You know, we've gotten stuff directly from prisoners via email, and um, and they're giving us right now information updates that the world we know does not have yet. As we close out today, ladies, we're talking about the prison pandemic. We know that we're living in a time of uncertainty, and unfortunately, I know I've been hearing talk about, hey, this thing may get worse before it gets better. And I don't know what to say, what's going to happen next. We have to be careful. We have to practice and use precautions, wash our hands, um, social distancing, go to places we need to go. I was um, riding by a place the other day and saw a field full of people, maybe like two, 300 people out in the field, half had masks on and half didn't. And I do understand people saying, hey, I'm living. I'm not worried about this coronavirus thing. And I get it. I, I really do. Um, however, I'd rather be safe than be sorry. So as we close out today, I just want to go around to each of you ladies and see if there's anything on your mind, anything in your heart that you want to share to our listeners and to the world in reference to our topic for today, prison pandemic, or anything that we've actually shared while on this call. I'm going to go out to you first, Alexis. Oh. To be really frank, I never really thought of prisoners and their families. I I never really thought of prison because my upbringing, I just never encountered a situation where I could be facing losing my freedom. So what I will say is a lot of people tend to forget that prisoners are humans too, and so are their families. The choices they made resulted in a consequence of their freedom being taken away, and a lot of times we take for granted that we're going to forget about this population, kind of like the saying, out of sight, out of mind. We can't see them. We don't really know what it's like in prison. I'm pretty sure that the movies and stuff like that makes it seem like a cakewalk. I'm pretty sure it's not a cakewalk in there. I'm pretty sure that the people who are in there, especially those who are wrongfully convicted or wrongfully accused of a crime, waiting patiently for the justice system to just turn things around for them. It's pretty scary in there. And sometimes they wait years and they die before it's discovered that they never committed a crime in the first place. That is true. Thank you, Alexis, for sharing that. We'll go back out to you, Anita. Yes, I I think that um, beyond prison, people, a lot of people are having, are are putting themselves in mental prison because they've been stuck in the house so long and they're, they're not understanding that life is going on outside of their home. It's going on outside of prison. I'm sure the people in prison, they're scared to death for their family. And, and that would be probably worse than being stuck in there. Fear of it. But people in, in their own mental have friends who have not left the house hardly since, since February. And they're just scared to death. And, and I hate that for them. And then we have to consider the children as well because they've been stuck at home. They haven't been around friends. They haven't been in school. And and now they're starting to get out. But it has to be very hard emotionally for them as well. And so um, we just have to pray for everybody because it's hard, it's hard for the people in prison and hard for the people outside. We're all in the struggle. We are all in the struggle in one way or another. All right, close us out, Vanessa, with any final comments, any final thoughts, any final tips. And I know you talked about voting, just kind of to reiterate that. So I'm going to turn the call over to you to close us out. Thank you. Yeah, I know that um, a lot of people might not be directly affected by prisoners or or ex-convicts and their family, but – Oh, man, I, and I'm going to misquote this, but I know if you gather, like, all of the facilities nationwide, they would make up, like, I think the third largest city in the nation. So it, it does affect us. It's it's like 
you know, you think of like the largest cities currently, like New York or um, Houston, LA, whatever. So if you gather all of the prisoners and you calculate them, it's the third largest city in this nation. So it does affect us. And, and we do have to kind of take things into our own hands and we might not see change right away, but if we inform ourselves and, and we, um, you know, go onto the Secretary of State websites and we look for election information. We can really empower ourselves and make changes, if not in our lifetime, in our children's lifetime. And these are very important changes that need to be made, not just for us, but for the rest of our families and the future of our families. We need to figure out, you know, what propositions are on our ballots, what amendments are coming up. I know that there's um, uh, there's a ballot specifically in California where they're trying to give um, prisoners the right to vote, and a lot of people don't know about it. But there's also every state is different. You have to kind of go on there, ask questions, um, do quick web searches, or ask your politicians, call them up. They have time and money and resources bother them. Just, you know, put it out on Facebook, on all of your social media groups. If you have questions, ask. We really need to empower ourselves and educate ourselves because this issue does, it does affect us. And we just, I mean, just in humanity altogether, like we, we can't just keep walking past all these people who are suffering or who have maybe maybe they have done wrong, but just because they've they've done wrong in today's laws doesn't mean that these laws are going to be in place in the future. Look at what's happening with you know marijuana laws currently. A lot of them are overturned, and people are still in prison because of it. We can't just turn our eye because they did something wrong. They did something wrong in today's laws. That doesn't mean that that law is going to be in effect tomorrow. So just kind of educate yourself and come together and, you know, try and be a little bit more um, considerate in, in each other's humanity. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and that definitely was a lot, and I can't even say anything after that. Just thank you to everyone that invested time to join us on our show. Please definitely listen and share it. We have so many amazing things happening as we close the year out. You know, we deal with so much uncertainty from life to life and from day to day, rather. Um, however, um, what doesn't take us out will make us stronger. And we're here, and we're here to stay, and we definitely have a lot of information to share with the world. So um, look in the link below on all social media sites, um, Take 411 and Another Chance to Bridge the Gap, and you'll be able to follow and see all of our updates. Ladies, thank you so much for joining the show today. Look forward to doing this again soon. There's so many things we have to talk about, and we're going to talk about it. That's what Take 411 is, and we'll definitely close out today, but just really appreciate everyone, and stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Take 411. To stay connected with us, please subscribe in the link below to our website, add your email address, and get all types of updates and information about what happens in the world every single day. Until the next time, remember, together we can.